0: Your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and starting in verse 1. And this is God's Word, John 15, verse 1. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And let's stop there, and let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think I told you this uh, several years ago that when I was in fourth grade, I went with uh, a neighbor 's family it was a pastor in his family, and I was friends with his little son and they invited us to, invited me to join them for a drive from Chicago to Ontario, Canada, to this farm where, this pig farm where the dad grew up. And uh, so we drove in there. I mean, kids crammed in the back of a Monte Carlo all the way to Canada, one shot, uh, miserable drive. But um, somewhere along that trip, I believe that I came to know Christ in fourth grade, somewhere along that trip. Anyway, we get up there, and one of the coolest things that we did up there is uh, we went on a horse-drawn sleigh, through a snowy forest in Canada, and we collected sap from the trees. So these buckets were hanging off all these different trees. And I mean, it was just like Narnia. It was so surreal. And, uh, you know, in the horses and through the snow, it was just so cool. It was it was so memorable. And uh, it really changed my view of looking at a forest. You know, before you look at a forest, and you're like, yeah well, a bunch of trees or whatever. and But, you know, when, when you... Take bucket after bucket after bucket off of, a, off of a tree, and it's got this much sap in the bottom of it, and you pour it in the big thing, and then you take it to this little hut in the freezing cold where this, this smokestack is, and you go inside and there's this huge boiler, I mean huge, full of sap, and it's just boiling the sap, and there's a spigot on the side, and you can taste the maple syrup, and I mean kind of an important thing to Canada. It's, it's even on their flag, and it all has to do with the sap running through trees, and ever since then, you know, i look at a forest and I just see it in a different way where you just go, man, all these big giant things everywhere have this life flowing through them. You know, the sap, it's all in that. Unless they have that, they're, they're dead. If there's sap running through them, they're living. And if their are branches laying on the ground uh, and leaves laying on the ground, they don't, they're not connected to the root source anymore and they're dead, v- very different uh, to have this flow of life stuff uh, as opposed to something that's dead. Well, uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to be spending it in John 15. And uh, after Labor Day, we'll fire back up in Hebrews and pick up our study where we left off. But we're going to stay in this for the next uh, four weeks or so. And there's a focus that I would love for you to have. The, the focus, I think, on this passage is this. And let me just kind of give it to you in two waves, okay? I've got, uh, it says here, the foundational aspect of the gospel is blank, Now, I wonder what word you might put there. The foundational aspect of the gospel is blank. I bet you some of you are thinking love, and I think that's a perfectly good answer because we've been loved with an everlasting love. We love because we've first been loved. Uh, God has set his love upon us. That's a very good answer. Um, Yeah, it's it's definitely a foundational aspect of the gospel. It is true, God's love. Or you might put in there uh, another good word would be grace. Um, that uh, God extended benevolence to us when it was completely undeserved. That might be uh, the fo- a foundational aspect of uh, the gospel. That is true. You might say mercy, that God saw us in our uh, miserable state, uh, feeling, experiencing the consequences of sin, uh, and God dealt with that. Um, that. Those things are true. But concerning, ladies and gentlemen, um, the, the, the bearing of the gospel on us as human beings. In other words, how it works that we're connected to this Jesus Christ, how it works that we're organically connected to the living God, um, the, the Trinitarian God. I think, I think maybe the best answer you could put there is this. F- from our standpoint, the foundational aspect of the gospel is life. Now, ladies and gentlemen, did you choose to follow Jesus Christ? Did you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ? Did you exercise trust? I mean, was it your decision? Was it? Yes, absolutely it was. You definitely chose to believe in Jesus Christ. You did. But you did it because God made you alive. He makes you alive, and you say, I have decided to follow Jesus because you see who he is. All of a sudden, this is not foolishness anymore, it's reality. And uh, you look at this and you go, wow, I thought this was idiotic not long ago, and now it's precious to my soul, and I want to find myself under the authority of this book. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Well, it's, it happens because God has given you life, and that is demonstrated um, very vividly by this, the words of our Savior in this passage. So let's look at it together, considering the life that is given us in Jesus Christ. So our first point of three is God the Son... The vine. So let's look at verse 1. Jesus is speaking here and he says, I am the true vine. Now, you need to know to be acclimated to what's happening here, what Jesus is saying. You need to know what Jesus is saying. You need to know where he's saying it. You need to know to whom he's saying it. You need to to know um, uh, when uh, when he's saying it, uh, and so on. And to, uh, to tell you, you know, you've got four gospels, right? We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are very similar, aren't they? They have a similar flow. Um, and they, they have a similar structure, they have a similar aim, even though the writer's different and the, the, the audience is different, there's a, certain, there's a certain way they kind of match one another, right? And so if you were to look up, let's say you went to a play or a movie, and you're like, I want to look up the synopsis of that play or movie. You look up the synopsis, what you're doing is you're looking for the summary, right? You're looking for the, 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 the story, kind of the, the morsel of the story, Well, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels because they kind of follow a similar pattern, and uh, it is suspected that they were researched similarly, and even that the gospel of Mark might have been written first, and that Matthew and Luke used some of the same sources, and that's why they kind of look look, look the same. But the gospel of John is different. Uh, The gospel of John doesn't have angels singing, announcing Jesus' birth, Um, there's no birth account and all that. It starts, the Gospel of John, with this declaration of the divinity of Jesus Christ. I mean, a very different gospel. John stands on its own. The divinity of Jesus Christ uh, proclaimed, and then the next thing you know, you've got an adult John the Baptist with a ministry that's already flourishing and functioning. He's announcing, he's heralding the Christ who, who comes. Jesus shows up on the scene, and Jesus' earthly ministry is launched. I mean, boom, right at the beginning of the Gospel of John. I mean, it's very unique comparatively. Uh, and then, um, you know, it, it goes on, and listen, it, very quickly, Jesus is in the shadow of the cross. I mean, in, in chapter 12, he's anointed. I mean, there's 21 chapters in John. In chapter 12, he's anointed, uh, and then he enters Jerusalem. And the next thing you know, He's in the upper room with the disciples. From chapter 13 all the way to the end of the book, that whole big giant hunk of John is in the shadow of the cross. He's hours before his death. I mean, it's, it's like time goes all of a sudden just goes and slows down, and you get this intimacy, this look into the Savior before his death. And so where is he? He's in the upper room. He's with the disciples, and that's why it's called the, 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 uh, the, his, the discourse, the upper room discourse, um, because he's already with the, the disciples. They're in the upper room, and Judas, um, uh, it, it's been said that he's going to betray Jesus, and Judas leaves, and there's 11 of them, and they're stunned. It's where Jesus washes their feet. It's where the Lord's uh, Supper is instituted. I mean, it's, it's a profound and critical place, and Jesus is getting intimate with his disciples. So now imagine... Those 11 guys are in the room. Jesus has said already, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, is it me, Lord? Is it me, Lord? And he says, no, it's Judas. Go ahead and do what you have to do. And Judas leaves. I mean, can you imagine what that must have felt like? And now Jesus is talking. And now things are getting very serious. And notice how Jesus addresses them after Judas leaves. You know, in chapter um, 13, verse 13, listen, Jesus says, um, uh, oh, that's, oh, 33. He says, um, little children yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Well, that's pretty profound, isn't it? He's, he's tender. Little children, he calls these men. Little children. Where I'm going, you can't come. Wow. And um, look at chapter 14, verse 1. Listen to the tenderness here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. Believe, uh, believe in God. Believe also in me. Um, I go to a pr- pr- prepare to a place, a place for you. And listen to all these I am statements that he makes. He's talking to these kind of trauma uh, guys, and he, he makes these I am statements. Uh, verse 2, I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, uh, second part of it, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Isn't that a marvelous thought? Listen, where I'm going, you can't come. But I'm going on ahead. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I am going to come back, and I'm going to get you. I am. Um, He goes on to say in verse 6, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Verse 10, he says... um, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Uh, the words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works, believe in me and the Father, and so on. Uh, how about verse 18 of that same chapter, verse, chapter 14? I will not leave you as orphans. What a thought. Uh, look, skip down to verse 20. I am in my Father, and you in me. Well, those, those are rich thoughts. Well, how are those things true? I mean, Jesus is leaving them, He's saying, I'm going to be with you. Don't be discouraged, my little children, and so on. How is all that stuff uh, going to be true? Well, listen, you don't have to turn. Let me just jump over here real quick. But um, I'm jumping to Matthew 16. And listen to this. Um, Yeah, wow. So, yeah, you know, it's right after Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus answers him and says, you didn't figure that out because you're smarty pants. God revealed that truth to you. And it says from that point on, he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. And so Peter's saying, oh yeah, here's who we think you are. We think you're the Messiah. I mean, we think you're the one that we've been waiting for for thousands of years, that you're the one to whom the prophets pointed and spoke. Uh, You're the one who fulfills all things. We think you're the Christ. We think you're the rescuer. And they're starting to get it. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody. But you see what he's doing? He is now opening up. He is now telling him everything because he's in the shadow of the cross and his time has indeed come. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine. And what he's saying is that's the reality that I'm articulating to you, the underlying reality all the time. In short, he's saying, guys, I got to leave and go do something to rescue you, but you're going to be okay. I'm not gonna leave you here alone. And I'm telling you, it's the same message to you and me. He's saying, you're not here alone. You're not just plopped down here to try to live your life and hope you make it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna assist you. Um, and then he goes on to talk about pruning branches and cutting away branches and withering branches and ba- branches burning in the fire and so on. And so there's no confusion, he says, in verse three. Already you are clean Because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's an important thing, ladies and gentlemen. Here's the significance of that. He wants to be sure that they understand that he's not saying, okay, I'm going to leave, and uh, you're going to be down here, and you better get your bloody act together. I mean, you better do well while I'm here because I'm going to be gone, I'll be watching, and I'll be expecting a lot, and you better better pull it together. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, "You're, you're in danger, man. I mean, if you don't keep your, keep your life looking good enough, you're in big trouble. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want any confusion. I mean, he's about to talk about cutting off branches and pruning and withering and all that stuff, but he wants his disciples, his believers, to know that they're already okay, that they're already safe. And what he says is, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Now, what is the significance of that? What does that mean? Well, It's the same thing, it's the same saving scenario today. You're not connected to Jesus by doing good works. That's not how you're connected to Jesus. You're not connected to Jesus by trying super duper hard. You're not connected to Jesus because you grew up in a denomination, and it's been your family's denomination, and that's where your heritage has always been, because I've always gone to this church, and you know, occasionally, and uh, that's my identity. That's not it at all. He says, you guys are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. In other words, he's saying, you believe the word of promise. Now, listen, doing good is good. Doing good works we were designed for. It says in Ephesians 2.10, you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. And listen, fellowship with the church is important. It's a means of grace. We are to gather like this. It's true. But he doesn't want them to say, oh, i got to merit anything. i got to work my way into heaven. No. He's saying you're already clean because you believe the word of promise, okay? And so he's saying the living word is uh, speaking and he is, he is uh, dealing with you savingly and will empower your life even as he leaves. All right, how is that all gonna happen? Well, let's look at this next one. God the Father, the vine dresser. Now look at verse uh, one again. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, vine dresser, they're, they're obviously talking about grapes, okay? G- grape vines, okay? We know what a vineyard is. That's the illustration. And by the way, um, I heard one, read one very respected commentator who called this a parable, and I just don't think it is a parable. I think it's an illustration. I think it's a, a real-life illustration, but it's it, he, he's, he's not trying to... to exclude some and include others, I think he's, he's using an illustration to make something very clear. That's what I think it is, is an illustration. But, so let's look at his illustration. I mean, that's a vineyard. And uh, here's another picture of a vineyard. That's mighty pretty, isn't it? Here's another picture of a vineyard in some other wild place. Here's another picture of a vineyard. That's pretty stunningly pretty, isn't it? What do you see in, that, in those pictures of a vineyard? Don't you see order? You see order. I mean, it's not haphazard. And, you know, when they plant those things, you know, there's, there's a stick that comes up and there's a, there's a, a, a line and uh, they kind of climb on that line and they're, they're pruning stuff. And, you know, it's just a trunk and then it's, it's the, it branches out like that. I mean, you just see order in that. And it's because someone has taken great care to, to trim them kind of bonsai style in that way so that they grow a certain way. And... Uh, and there's, a, there's a, obviously a vine dresser. There's someone taking care of it and wants it to grow in just the right way. And is removing things that are dead and pruning things that are blooming. And the goal, ladies and gentlemen, is the production of fruit. That's the goal. It's not just to plant things in a big row for no reason. The, the goal is to produce fruit. That's what the vine dresser does. And so a branch that doesn't bear fruit um, it gets removed from the plant. And uh, a branch that does bear fruit gets pruned and manipulated so that it produces even more fruit. And let me, t- let me ask you, if you've got a house plant, you know, you've been on vacation, you come home and you look at your house plants and there are a couple dead leaves on there, what do you instinctively do with the dead leaves? Instinctively. I mean, you reach for them and out they go. I mean, you pull out the dead leaves. It just doesn't belong in the, in the plant that, 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 that's flourishing. That's exactly what this is saying, is God looks at us like a vine... And Jesus wants you to grasp, ladies and gentlemen, that God is the boss of you. He's the boss of his creation. And if something's withered and dead, he can remove it. And if something is bearing fruit, he cares about it. And he wants production of more fruit. And so he challenges it and cuts it and manipulates it so that it does better, so that the plant is even healthier. The sign of the health of the plant is that it does produce fruit, not that it just plops down there in the sun, but it it produces fruit. That's God's design, ladies and gentlemen. If you look at verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Uh, in other words, the point is to further production. And if, there's, if it's dead and withered, it does not belong, and God removes it. Now, application for your life. You know, when leaves or limbs are dried or withered, it's because they're cut off from the root system. It's like the sap in those trees, the, the life that courses through. Uh, dead means removal. Removal. And life means being attached. Uh, a living thing looks one way. Uh, look at verse uh, eight. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. I mean, you will know them by their fruit. And a dead branch looks one way, and something living looks another way. Uh, a dead thing results in being cut away, and so on. But there are two words of encouragement, ladies and gentlemen. As the first hearers would have heard this in the upper room, in the shadow of the cross, and recollect what uh, on Jesus what was what was Jesus was saying uh, in the days and weeks and years to come, and what we ought to be seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, is these tender words of eternal safety. For instance, look at verse one: "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." Now, as Christians, we read that and we go, oh, I've heard that before. Oh, yeah, that's a lovely thought. Jesus is the vine, Father is the vine dresser. Got it. You know, what, let's move on. But ladies and gentlemen, does it not have great significance that Jesus says, I am the true vine, and, my, and he's saying, Yahweh, he's saying, God the Father is the vine dresser. You get that? I mean, the Lord Almighty, the eternal God of glory, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, is the vine dresser. That's a big thing, isn't it? God the Father is the vine dresser. Kind of scary almost. If it's not scary, I guess I'm trying to say it more dramatically every time. So you go, oh, yeah. God the Father, ladies and gentlemen. And yet, it's the same God the Father that uh, Jesus said in Matthew. Pray like this. He teaches us. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what we ought to be thinking there? (gasps) God the Father. I mean, really, we're calling the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, Yahweh, we're calling him Father, our Father, tenderly, our Father who loves us because we're his child. That's amazing. And so for, for the believer to come to this passage, and you read all this stuff about being cut off from life and being burned, Being pruned, disciplined, challenged, I mean, it's all very scary, but guess who it is? It's our heavenly Father. God the Father is our heavenly Father. It's just so tender and profound and encouraging. Uh, The vine dresser, thankfully, is our Father who loves us. Here's one other point of hope here. Every branch that does bear fruit, God prunes, All right, so if you're a Christian, you go, oh, you you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, you believe he said he was who he was. I mean, you believe he's the son of God. You believe that he he died an atoning sacrifice for your sin. I mean, you believe what he did on the cross was the exclusive payment for your sin, and you can't add any personal moral good to it. Do you believe that? You do? All right, well, here's the word of hope. Um, God's going to prune you. Your life is going to be challenged, and in those challenges, you're going to find out that you're not in control of things. You're going to find out that you're helpless. You're going to find out that you need to call out to God for sustenance and help, and that's a part of fruit that is produced. Um, and so, um, you, you know, one writer, I said this, Gordon Ketty, I'm going to give you his name because it's just a great little turn of a phrase that I wish I could steal, but he said, he said listen, when God prunes... He cuts back, not cuts off. Isn't that good? He cuts back, but he doesn't cut off. So that's what God is doing with you, Christian. He's cutting things back. But the goal is to make you flourish so that you produce more fruit. That is a loving God involved in your life. All right. Our last point here is God the Spirit the life giver. And don't you love the Trinitarian kind of uh, aspect here? There's no direct uh, reference to the Holy Spirit here, but uh, I assure you the Holy Spirit is inferred and in this picture. Uh, Look at verse 5. Jesus saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, it's very interesting. He, He makes this statement Hey, if you're connected to me and the sap, you know, the, the life is coursing through me and you're attached to me and thus the right my righteousness, my life is coursing through you, if that's your reality, it's so interesting because we're then commanded to abide in Christ. We're told that we have to abide in him. Whoever abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Now, how is it that we're told to abide in Jesus And at the same time, we are abiding in Jesus. We are connected. Um, How does that work together where we're safe and yet we're summoned? Uh, We're safe and yet we're sent out. For what should we strive, ladies and gentlemen? Um, Well, we can start. And how do we do that? How do we abide in Christ? And, uh, oh, I'll tell you. Let me just look at a verse real quick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, verses four and five, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in a vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Um, How do we do that? We start, I think, by acknowledging reality. We acknowledge as Christians daily, hourly, as a part of our lives in God's Word. We acknowledge reality. Privately, we we come here on a Sunday morning. We acknowledge it corporately here, right this minute, what we're doing. We go in the big room. We sing it. We think about it. We pray it. We acknowledge our spiritual reality in Jesus Christ. We we rehearse it again in our souls that we're in vital union with Jesus Christ. I mean, we don't do this song here. We did in years past until I got convicted about it and annoyed. And you've heard me criticize it many many times. And now it's totally passe. Praise God. But. Um, you know, I'm so glad you're in my life. That's just one of the most revolting song lyrics I can think of. That, you know, that, that I, I you listen, Jesus is in your life, it's true, but he is your life. You want to get that? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life. To reduce that to, you know, I'm so glad my Acura is in my life. I'm so glad this steak is in my life. That's in your life. Jesus is your life. I mean, that, that's what we need to do is acknowledge and rehearse that great reality sep- uh, singularly and together that we're in vital relationship with the root system that is Jesus Christ. Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, all to say, is a relationship, all right? So I think that's step number one is that we acknowledge the reality that we're connected to the, the life source, which is Jesus Christ. We acknowledge it in every way we can with whomever we can. Right? And then the second thing is this. Here's the how. Um, You know, look at um, chapter 14, verse 25. So you don't even probably have to turn a page, but look at chapter 14, verse 25. Listen how important this is to Jesus. He's giving us the how. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. So he's told them, listen, you, you can't go where I'm going. I'm leaving. All right, But um, so I've spoken these things to you while I'm with you, but in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Okay, that's how it's going to happen. Jesus is going to leave, but however uh, will we make it? However will we, however will we obey well, the, the, the Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes. Um, look at chapter verse tw- uh, 15, verse 26. He's talking about it again. When the Helper comes, with a capital H, whom I will send to you from the Father. So who's sending the Holy Spirit? The Father and very clearly Jesus. The Father and Jesus send the Holy Spirit to carry on this ministry work. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now what's he talking about? The same thing he was talking about. Um, um, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. It's, it's the truth that Jesus has proclaimed. All the prophetic information that has pointed to Jesus. All that is fulfilled in him. That's what he's talking about. The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, will make those things come alive and real to you. Uh, chapter 6, verse 7. He says, 16 verse 7 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, with a capital H, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And by the way, one of the biggest mistakes Christians make is to refer to the Holy Spirit of God as it, not an it. It's not Star Wars where there's a force and, oh, it can make it by the Spirit. You know, people do that. Oh, by the Spirit this and by the Spirit this. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the Father. It's the Son. It's the Holy Spirit God the Father is a person. God the Son is a person. God the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. Never refer to the Holy Spirit as, as an it or think of the Holy Spirit as a force that kind of helps you. He is the helper with a capital H because he's personified. He's a person. All right, so here's the, here's the why. Even though we're abiding in a sense um, forever, eternally, because of what Christ has done on the cross, we are to strive to abide in that uh, Simply acknowledging the reality that is ours. You know, you don't have to try hard to be a better Christian. You have to remember that you are a Christian, and you, you, you pray for the grace to yield to this God who is working in your life. Um, God's Word is authority over your life. It's the centerpiece of your life, uh, the, the application and ministry of this book to your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, because where God's Word is, ladies and gentlemen... He is. Where God's truth is, He is. Where God's will is, He is personally. And uh, friend, um, the balm for your weary soul uh, is not a Thomas Kincaid painting uh, or something sentimental and precious or a gut feeling or a sweet little hunch. Um, The balm for your soul is what God has said about Himself in regard to you. That's the balm for your soul. All right, last thing I've got is, uh, who's heard of the Valley of Vision? Who's heard of that book, Valley of Vision? Man, if you've not heard of this, I'm just telling you, it's awesome. I gave a copy to Bob Wood about a year ago. And I mean, you think Bob Wood, old, wise, you know, awesome, seen it all. He's, he's been reading this thing for a year. He reads it every day now. And I mean, he's come up to me 14 times. Oh, Jim, Jim. It is just so moving to my soul. It's un- I mean, if Bob likes it, it's probably pretty good. And, um, but it's a collection of Puritan prayers. So they, they take Puritan writings, and they take this section and this thing and this thing, and it's, they, it's been assembled in poetic form. It's awesome. But anyway, I'm going to read you just part of one. This is a prayer assembled from Puritan writings. Listen to this. This is a good thing for you to pray. And with this, we'll close in prayer. Thou art good when thou givest, and thou takest away when the sun shines upon me, when night gathers over me. Thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. Hang on, I'm in the wrong one. That was good though, wasn't it? I, I could tell it was good, and then, but I could, tell, I could tell confusion was sweeping over me. I was one page over. Um, here you go. Give me a grace... That proceeds, follows, guides, sustains, sanctifies, aids every hour. That I may not one moment be apart from thee. Isn't that cool? He's saying the same thing. Hey, I'm not apart from you, so don't let me be apart from you. I'm organically, organically connected to you, the life source, so don't let me be apart from you. He's talking about relationship, He's, it's this relational aspect. All right, he goes on. Um, let me rely upon thy spirit to supply every thought, speak in every word, direct every step, prosper every work, build up every bit of faith, and give me a desire to show forth thy praise, testify thy love, advance thy kingdom. Very simple. That's acknowledging the reality that is yours as a Christian, and that's part of the adventure of this abiding in the Savior. More on that in the next three weeks. Let's pray. Um, Holy Spirit, we are grateful that you were sent by the Father and sent by the Son. And Lord Jesus, we praise you because you continue your saving, ministering, kingdom-building work through us as the Spirit rules and reigns. And Holy Father, we praise you and remember that um, you are um, God and we are creatures, And yet, as the Savior taught us, we refer to you as our Heavenly Father with the intimacy of children. We thank you for that, and we pray that you would uh, instill in our souls um, a a gripping of the great reality of the gospel, that we are saved and saved evermore, and yet we are to strive in this hard life um, to resemble the people who own that reality. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Catch you next week.